This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 321. My father would always say two things. Don't tell me, show me. And at the same time, if you do a great job, you don't have to talk. Other people will talk for you. Hey, thank you for taking a half hour out of your day to check out this podcast. It means a lot to me. It is the Read to Lead podcast, in case you're new here. And it is a podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I'm the guy who hosts the thing. My name is Jeff Brown. And I started the podcast because I believe that if you desire to achieve true success in your business and in your life, that intentional and consistent reading is a must. The podcast is going to help you narrow this list, you know, 11,000 or so, I believe, business books alone published every year. We talk about just 52 of them. And so you can rest assured that the ones we're spending time talking about are ones that you probably want to pay attention to. And we are fortunate to be joined by the author of those 52 books each week to chat about the book and their unique insights on things like personal and professional growth, leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and a lot more. Today, we're joined by Dana Cavalea. Or is it Cavalia? I'll ask him. Author of the book, Habits of a Champion. Nobody becomes a champion by accident. I'll ask Dana to share from his experience with things like handling rejection, why and how not to worry about what everybody else thinks, how to take ownership of your own thoughts, and a whole lot more. Though many of Dana's stories and experiences come from having worked in the sports world, you certainly don't have to be a sports fan to glean lots of useful insights from Dana's book. Dana is a highly sought-after high-performance coach who spent the majority of his career as the director of performance for the New York Yankees. In 2009, he helped lead the team to a World Series championship. That same year, he was voted by his peers as the top strength coach in Major League Baseball, earning him the Nolan Ryan Award. Currently, in addition to working with high-level athletes, coaches, CEOs, and executives, Dana is an international speaker and consultant, helping corporations, sports teams, universities, and organizations to optimize their overall performance through his five drivers of performance framework. Well, his book and the topic of our discussion today is called Habits of a Champion. Nobody becomes a champion by accident. His name is Dana Cavalea. Am I pronouncing that correctly or is it Cavalea? Cavalea. Cavalea. Well, I I don't ask every guest this question, but I I did want to ask it of you, Dana, in in regard to your book. What prompted you to write it? I'd love for you to describe that sort of maybe epiphany moment when the idea struck and what it was you did first to just make sure that this idea of a book became a reality. Yeah. Well, you know, Jeff, by trade, I'm an on-field coach first. So, You know, I spent my career with the Yankees as an on-field coach, guiding players to higher levels of performance. Now, as a coach, what do we do? We do a lot of of leading. So we read a lot of books on leadership. We read a lot of books on personal development, um, self-help, always trying to gain knowledge to get our players an edge so that we as an organization and a team can win. So what I started to read was a lot of books that seemed to be based on a lot of – theory-based practices. And I I would read books and then I'd go watch some of the best performing players in the world go through their habits and their routines on a day-to-day basis. And I said, you know, these players are getting incredible results and what I'm reading here, they're not doing a whole lot of. So I saw this 
what I call like a, a, a gap. And I wanted to, to fill that gap. And I, I really didn't have a desire to write a book up until I said, you know what? I have so much, I've learned so much and I want to be able to take those lessons and apply them, you know, and help other people uh, sort of get this hands-on practical edge and experience through my experiences. So I, I, I literally took a 15-day period and I said, I'm going to write 15 chapters. I'm going to write one a day. And, and that's what I did. So I wanted to create a book that was very real, very practical, written how I speak mm. and a book that was all practical and no theory. So it was about, hey, what are the things that these top performers do on a day-to-day basis that lead them to the outcomes that they want, which, you know, in sports, it's winning, you know, in business, it's quarter over quarter growth and really just great, great culture, great camaraderie. And that's what I wanted. That's really what I wanted to, to create through this book. I wanted people to read the book and close it and say, wow, I feel like somebody understood me. And that's that was my that was my objective. Well, Dana, I have told many of my clients over the years something very similar to what you write in the book, that consistency practiced over time leads to success. I think it's almost inevitable, in fact. Um, How have you seen that concept, that idea, play out in the real world? Jeff, for me, I was brought up with, if you're not working, somebody else is. That was my mentality, right? I was also brought up with be the first one there and the last one to leave. These are, these are, this is how I was raised. And I started to see and study these top performers, top players, players like Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, some household names that everybody knows. And I said, wow, they're the last ones there and the first ones to leave. But what are they doing while they're here? And I saw they would come to the ballpark, you know, undress into, from their street clothes to their training clothes, and they would literally get to work. And I'd say, well, what are they doing? And I'd start to follow them and watch what it is that they do. And then I'd, I'd see what they did on Monday, and I'd take a look and see what they're doing on Tuesday, and i said, wow, it's the exact same thing. And then Wednesday would look like Monday and Tuesday and Thursday. So each day was really the same thing. So talk about consistency. There it was. And then when I look at the general population and how even a lot of folks in business go about their business, there's a lot of inconsistency day to day amongst most. But when you look at the upper tier and that that top 10%, again, you start to see consistent habits, consistent routines. And we all know what happens with consistent habits and routines. They compound and they start to yield the results that are predictable, right? And that's what we want. And that gives us comfort. It gives us certainty. That, I believe, gives us a sense of security. So, and, and great players, whenever I would talk to them about this, that's what they would say. I find comfort in this simple yet perfect routine. That's really what I preach over and over again. The consistency factor is really, really important. I talked to a guest a couple of weeks ago, Garland Vance, about the topic of uh, too many commitments. When you work with a client, Dana, who is maybe struggling with commitments, maybe saying yes to too many things, for example, what's your process for helping them to own their schedule? The first thing we do is we take a look at what it is they're doing. Where are you using your time? Because time, we all have the same amount of time, which we've heard a million times. (laughs) Where are we using our time? And what I find is this. And this, I, I celebrate a lot of the high-level executives and leaders that I work with because they're hungry. They, they don't shy away from work. They actually embrace work. But what happens is, you know, again, my background is in performance. So 
a lot of times the executives and the leaders, they just keep pushing. And what they don't realize is that fatigue is actually setting in. Mm. So they look at it and say, you know what, I'm not as productive as I need to be. I'm not as disciplined as I need to be. And that's why I'm not getting these things done. So they start seeking coaching on productivity and discipline. But when we take a look at their day to day, they're working, but they're just working on what I call your assists, which are activities that require less thought, less horsepower, and less effort, like checking emails or strategizing or you know having meetings, right? But then there's these big things that move the needle that they're not doing. And that causes a lot of frustration, a lot of angst, some, some just overall stress, but they're not doing those things because they are actually fatigued. When I start to look at their schedule and you start to see all of these other little things that they have, the question I ask them is simple. Hey, what is your hamburger? Like McDonald's has this hamburger. It's got to be perfect. And they're not focused on the pickles and everything else until they have a great hamburger. Every day when you go into your day, are you focused on that burger? Make it great. Are your, Everything that you're doing, is it focused on that or are you focused on organizing the condiments? I know that's a silly analogy. It gets people to think, wow, I'm, I'm sort of working on all these other things that don't really matter that much. You mentioned fatigue. What, what's the role of rest in all this, Dana? I know by your own admission in the book, you were once a person who sort of equated rest to laziness. Uh, where do you land on that now as it relates to athletics and business? I used to look at rest as laziness. I used to look at it as weakness, right? Because I was a tough guy. I'm from New York, right? We're tough guys. <laughs> and, um, you know, you, you get bred into this culture where it's that hustle 24-7, 365. If you're not working, somebody else is and they're going to pass you, right? So when you take that stance, it's a defensive stance. And I realized very quickly, I was playing a lot of defense. And you know what? Defense is exhausting. So when I started to sort of realign myself and say, hey, Dana, what's the one thing that you need to get done today? Well, do that, okay? And, and until that's done, you don't get the opportunity to do everything else. And once I would get that one thing done, I would feel so free when I when I freed myself up. I realized that I, I actually needed to rest less because I wasn't doing as much. And because I wasn't doing as much, I wasn't putting as much pressure on myself. So I was doing the things that move the needle, what I call your IPAs, which are your income producing activities. I was hyper focused and I'm hyper focused on my income producing activities. And I was less focused on my EDAs, which I call my energy draining activities. (laughs) So I value rest tremendously. And when you study great athletes, Derek Jeter, A-Rod, players like that, they rest a lot. They're actually only on from like the hours of one o'clock to like midnight. And that's it. And, And that's just because of the games are typically at night. But these guys, would, when they were off, it was about socialization. It was about rest, relaxation, laughter, joy, you know, dining. And, it, and, and when it was time to work, boom, it was very objective-driven work. No busy work. Zero. Mm. Well, share a bit about your experience, Dana, around the idea of, of what we think about, we, we give life to, uh, mindset, in other words. Th- this idea of taking ownership of our thoughts as, a, as opposed to playing the victim and having this sort of scarcity mentality. You know, it's a, it's a great lead into to a story that I always tell about um, Mariano Rivera. And again, I, I use his name a lot because he's taught me so much. I had the chance to coach him, but he had the chance 
where I had the opportunity for him to coach me. And, you know, this is a player that's called into the game during the the most high-pressure situations, and he has to execute. And I remember in 1995, he made his debut at Yankee Stadium. This skinny kid from Panama takes the mound, and I, as a spectator, was looking at him and saying, what's this guy going to do? And he leans back, and he throws 95 miles an hour back when 95 miles an hour wasn't a thing. And I said, whoa, you've caught my attention. And I would just follow him and his career. And, and what I loved most wasn't just the velocity on the ball and the outcomes, but it was his disposition and his demeanor. So having the opportunity again to do what I've done, I, I coached him for 12 years. And I remember towards the end of my career, I was at his home in Westchester. We were down in the basement stretching and talking. And I said, Mo, I got to ask you a question. I said, how do you do it? Like, how do you do it? And he says, do what? You know, a little bit of an attitude. <laughs> I said, how do you do it? How do you get it done in the biggest of situations? And he said, buddy, I do three things. He goes, number one, I slow everything down. Number two, I quiet the noise. And number three, I throw one pitch at a time. He says, you see, I don't let the externals get into my internal world. Because if I allow the externals to control my internal, I won't have the conviction that I need to be successful. And, you know, I said, well, that's great. But what about the big situations like the big games, the World Series? He took a second pause and said, buddy, there are no big situations. Every situation is the same. And we decide what's a big situation. I said, wow, that's just amazing advice. Because how many times do we say, wow, this is a big meeting or this is, you know, a big phone call or this is a big deal. And I work with a lot of guys in private equity and it's like, what's the what's the difference between a 10 million, 100 million or a 500 million dollar deal outside of zeros? If you start thinking about the magnitude of risk and what could happen, life is dangerous. Anything could happen. So what we focus on, we get more of and what we focus on. Oftentimes, through my experience, has come true. So I always try to pick the right things. Mm. Dana advocates uh, for something I was just challenging somebody on uh, yesterday, this idea of creating a plan and, and putting an end to dabbling. I was talking to someone about uh, some things they were working on, and I basically pointed out that the reason they were struggling was because they were dabbling, and this dabbling was giving them an excuse, an out, should they, should they need one, and if they needed to you know, go all in uh, on, on an idea. Dana, why is it important once you create your plan, uh, as you say in the book, not to ask everyone else, what they think. Well, because it doesn't matter what they think, <laughs> right? If we, you know, if, if we lived our life worried about what everybody else thinks, we wouldn't even know what to wear in the morning, <laughs> you know? So do you like this? How's my hair? You know, should I grow my beard out? Should I dive? You know, and so we have to play our game and there's going to be people that, that love us for who we are. And there's going to be people out there that don't really care for us for whatever the reason is. But we always have to make sure that we play our game. I have, I always say you have to die on your own sword, right? And it's, it's love me or hate me. This is who I am. I, I do my best every day to get better and be the best that I can be. But that still may not be good enough for you. And through our life, we've had relationships with friends and, and romantic relationships. Some don't work out. And sometimes we don't even know why. Business partnerships start off great, but then they don't work out sometimes. But we can't be constantly adapting to our surroundings because other people have opinions of us or, you know, we just can't be worried about everybody's opinion. It's like when you write a book, there's going to be people that read it 
and say, man, I'm going to Goodreads and I'm giving that sucker four to five stars. There's going to be other people that want to just dig at you and, and cause a stir, whether it's on Goodreads, Twitter, or Amazon, or, uh, you know, for the restaurant owner on Yelp. There's just people that are going to love you and there's going to be people that hate you. Um, but you have to stay committed to your mission, your vision, your goal, and and be passionate. Uh, you reminded me of something, Dana. I love what Seth Godin once said to me about authors and books. And he says, no author's ever gone to Amazon, read all their one-star reviews, and then said, gee, now I'm a better author. Yeah. Um, essentially, you know, if somebody you know thinks of your work that way, it just means it wasn't for them. It doesn't mean the work is bad. It just wasn't for them. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, Jeff, really interesting. Uh, I remember being in spring training years ago, and I was reading the New York Post. And uh, I have it, you know, I'm sitting at the table, I have it open, like reading the sports section and I, and somebody grabs the paper out of my hand and I look up and it's Derek Jeter. And he says, don't read that. And I said, what do you mean? Don't read that. He says, well, whatever they're writing, it doesn't matter because we have to go play in a couple hours. And whatever you read there is not going to have any bearing positively on today's game. <laughs> so put it away. It was interesting because they opened up another conversation. He said, listen, I stopped reading the papers years ago because they never say anything nice about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that stuck with me uh, among many was this idea that uh, fear of rejection only exists because you haven't been rejected enough. Can you speak to your thoughts around handling rejection? The way I was brought up, my mother is like a real spitfire from, <laughs> from Queens, New York, and both my parents were teachers and my father I remember him saying, he's like, I, I hate rejection. I hate the feeling of it. And my mom would always be like, hey, just put yourself out there. You know, so when it was snowing, my brother and I would have to make flyers and go to people's houses for, you know, for snow removal. Or when it got nice out, we'd have to go put flyers out and knock on people's doors for spring cleanups and lawn mowing. And I was taught that, you know, you're going to get a lot of rejection, even as a, a cute young kid trying to make a couple bucks in the neighborhood. You're going to be told no. But man, when somebody tells you yes, how good does that feel? So my mother always said, when someone tells you no, you just say next. And I actually love this line that Chris Jenner said, you know, when somebody tells you no, you just realize you're talking to the wrong person. And I never forgot those lessons. And you can't talk about success without talking about failure. I just remember last winter sitting at Mariano's house again, and he said, do me a favor. Whenever you talk to people about success, talk to them about failure because you can't have one without the other. And rejection, failure, it's really just our perception of, of what that means and how we internalize that. And a lot of people say, I got rejected, and they reject themselves along with that external rejection. And don't reject yourself. That person just didn't want your services at that point in time or something that you offered. But they're not necessarily rejecting you as a person. And when you understand that distinction between rejecting a service or rejecting an offer versus rejecting you as a human, it's a very different game. And you just dive in. And so many people, you know, in sales and business, they sit on the sidelines because they try to find that perfect shot. Don't worry about that. You're going to take the hits. Somebody's going to put a fastball in between your shoulders here and there. Just don't worry about it. Just keep going. There's what you're looking to accomplish and do and achieve. And then in between that is going to be a lot of rejection, a good amount of yeses, people that maybe don't understand you. So you have to just keep going. 
and realize that rejection is just a part of the game. And, and if you could sort of reframe it to where it's fun, hey, I got rejected, but moving on to the next one, you're going to get that much closer and to, to where it is that you want to go. You mentioned your mother a moment ago and, and, and learning from her. Talk about what you learned from your father when you were young, Dana, with regard to showing versus telling. Yeah, I remember as a kid, I, I was like most kids, I think, I'm Dad, I'm going to do this. I want to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But my, my father would always say two things. Don't tell me, show me. And at the same time, if you do a great job, you don't have to talk. Other people will talk for you. Those were two lessons that I, that I took from my father. And, and the third one is, and he still tells me this one today, is there's no such thing as instant gratification. So those are the big sayings that I that I that I live by. And it's so true. Don't tell me, show me. And what what is the culture, you know, that we're in today, right? It's like so many people, they haven't really done much, but you know, with Instagram and all these social channels, it appears as if they have. But they but it's it always comes down to what have you done and do you feel good and happy about what you've done? And that's a really important thing. Uh, so so focus on doing. Be about doing. And everything else will take care of itself. If you do, your reputation will take care of itself. I remember, again, talking with players over the years. And I said, hey, did you ever get into this to make money? And the players would always say, I just wanted to be the greatest player that I can be. And the money came as a result of that. So that's what I, that's what I stand by. I love that advice from your dad, and it, it just mirrors something that uh, I talk to a lot of people about that, that I work with. So many are wanting to quit before they've really been at whatever it is they're they're doing long enough uh, to have really seen results. They don't give it the time necessary. They, they do for a little while, but they don't keep at the doing. And I love this sort of the way your father framed that. If you'll get busy with the doing, then other people will do the work of, of talking for you. And I've seen that evidenced in my own life life uh, and, and business. You know, when you first start a podcast and you know, when you, you know, how many, how many spins do you get, right? You maybe get <laughs> two people that listen and then you do it again next week and maybe four people listen and maybe the week after you're down to two again. But over time, you know, I, I, I believe, you know, success, everything is over time. And when you understand that, whew, it takes a lot of pressure off you. Yeah, it goes back to what we were saying before. Consistency over time equals success. Well, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you, Dana, not directly related to the book. But before I do that, anything else from the book that I didn't touch on that you want to make sure we know or, or walk away with? I like to share my, my favorite chapter, and it's never get too high and never get too low. Hmm. You know, that roller coaster of emotion, high, low, high, low, something great happens, I get excited, something not so great happens, I get down. It is just emotionally grueling. And it's fatiguing because with every spike of energy and every dip of energy, you're losing energy. I always say play the middle line. Find that middle, that neutral line where when something good happens, you are expecting something good to happen. So that's great. But when something bad happens, you also expect that too because you know that that's life and that's business. That is what it is. So never get too high, never get too low. That's my, that's my personal favorite. Well, I know you don't read the newspaper much anymore, or at least you didn't there for a time, but um, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume you read the occasional book. Uh, and if so, I'd love to know a book or two you've encountered over the course of your career, Dana, that's uh, impacted you greatly, you know, left a lasting impression on you, if you will. One of the books that I, that I enjoyed as a kid, I read it when I was a kid, I, I'm due for a reread, was uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That was one that I used to, I used to need help with understanding people. As a kid, I just didn't understand people let you down. 
when you're growing up, you you see the good in people, and then you get let down a couple times, or somebody promises you something and they don't come through. I think it was my mother that gave me that book, and it was it was a, it was at the time it was a really good read for me, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'm actually staring at it now, and hmm. I'm saying. I got to read that book again. Yeah, that, that's certainly one that uh, I like to reread every now and then. Another one, and we just had uh, the authors, the, the late uh, Stephen R. Covey's son on the show, but that's uh, The Seven Habits of, of Highly Effective People. Definitely uh, recommend that one if you haven't cracked that one open yet for the same reason. It's it's one of those that you'll read and then want to reread a few years later. Well, I want to ask, uh, Dana, uh, what's ahead for you? Uh, if you if you can answer this, 2020 uh, has been one of those years it's uh could have been different for, for all of us in so many different ways. But what would you say as you look ahead to the rest of the year? What's ahead for you and your team that you're excited about and are able to to share? Yeah. So what I'm doing is I, I have a couple other books that I'm going to be putting out. One is going to be called Habits of a Champion Team, a book that, that is attached to Habits of a Champion. Mm. Once I put the first book out, I got a lot of you know teams from sports to business that called for me to work with their team. So that was a lot of fun. So I figured a good team book would be great with, with very similar principles, but adapted out of team. So Habits of a Champion Team, I wrote another book, which is my first fable called The Coach, a book about this coach that, you know, sort of just drops all sorts of different lessons on the people that he touches along his journey as a coach. So I have those those two books. And then I'm, I have a, an online academy called Champions Academy, which is all about personal and team development, helping people to really see themselves as champions. And the question that I always ask people is, hey, when you think of champion, what do you think of? And I realized that most people, through my research, they don't think of themselves first. They think of other people. So I, I want people to see themselves as champions because whether you're in sales, business, sports, you need to see yourself as such in order to really be in the emotional state and, and confidence position to achieve great results and to, to really be your best self. You know, I as a kid, I had a lot of moments of doubt, like a lot of people and a lot of kids. And I realized that, man, when I overcame the majority of that, I, we never overcome all of it. But when I overcame the majority of that, everything changed for me. And I realized as a kid, I was so worried about everybody else and what everybody else thought. And, and when I gave all that up as, as a young man, my life changed. So I, I wanted to create an academy that, that supports really confidence building, which for me, it's champion building. Mm. Well, Dana also has his own podcast, uh, Becoming a Champion with Coach Dana Cavalia. You can check out more on that at danacavalia.com. And of course, the book again is Habits of a Champion. Nobody becomes a champion by accident. Thank you, Sherry Griffin, for the introduction. Sherry Griffin, the very dedicated Read to Lead podcast listener, was kind enough to intro me to Dana. And thank you, Dana, for appearing on the show. I really appreciate you sharing your insights. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you, Sherry. For the links and resources related to my conversation with Dana, you need go no further than readtoleadpodcast.com slash 321 for episode 321. I'll include a link to Dana's book, of course, also the other books that we talked about, how to go about bringing Dana to speak to your organization or event, and lots more. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 321. Speaking of which, I myself have several virtual speaking events booked for this summer. If you'd like to invite me in virtually or otherwise to speak on success 
personal and professional development or leadership, you can reach out to me, Jeff, at readtoleadpodcast.com to get the conversation started. That's also the address you can write to if you have questions, suggestions, comments, or feedback for me. I'm all ears. Again, it's Jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Next time on the show, we'll welcome my good friend, Mike McCallowitz, who I've had the chance to interview three times in total, once for the Boss Free Virtual Summit last year and two other times for books he released, both Profit First and Clockwork. When he joins us next week, we'll be digging into his brand new book called Fix This Next. Again, that's next time on the Read to Lead podcast. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you for my conversation with Mike next time around. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read. 